You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Titus chapter 2. We're studying through this letter, Titus. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, written to his younger ministry colleague, Titus. Paul has left Titus on an island named Crete. It's an island today in the Mediterranean, south of Greece. And we know that he left him there to help set things in order in the local churches. The gospel had made its way to Crete and believers were beginning to gather. Churches were beginning to establish. And Paul is concerned for these churches. He wants to see solid leadership in the church. He wants these churches on course spiritually, doctrinally. And so we we saw in verse 5 of chapter 1, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And we saw in chapter 1 that one of the things that was lacking was good leadership. And in fact, Paul said, one of the things you got to do, Titus, is you got to correct these bad leaders, and then you got to identify and set in place good leaders. So Paul left his colleague there, Titus, someone that got saved through Paul's ministry, traveled with Paul, had seen what the church organization would look like in various ministry experiences, and now he's there to kind of replicate a good model on the island of Crete. It's a very practical letter. I mean, companies do the same thing today. If a company wants to open a new location, what do they do? Well, they usually send somebody from with experience to go onto the site and on the campus, on the ground, help train and raise up the new management so that the operation runs according to the corporate policy. And this is really just a kind of a practical way in which God operates the church. He brings experienced leaders in to help establish and set in order things that are just beginning there on the island of Crete. But it's, it's something that the Apostle Paul is very passionate about. You see it in his writing, not only here in Titus, both in Timothy and other epistles. Paul is very concerned that the churches really develop a solid foundation of truth and that the leaders are sincere and truly serving and called of God. Because here's the reality about church and even true in our day. If the leadership is not sincere or if the leadership is off doctrinally, it's going to produce improper teaching, whether it be unbalanced or even incorrect. And improper teaching is going to lead to faulty Christian living. So Paul is very concerned. Look, if Christians are going to live right, they've got to be taught right. And the only way they can be taught right is if the leaders and teachers are right. So this is still an essence of something of great importance Excuse me, in our time as well. These things matter, that ministry leaders and teachers would be properly motivated, called of God, not self-serving not looking to take advantage, not looking for their own opportunity or notoriety, because that's going to taint their message. And that tainted message is going to be absent the power and the truth that you need for right living. 
You know, I can have, we can talk about a lot of good ideas, but only the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ will affect your life and really bring transformation. And, and these ideas without the truth of God, they lack power. They become weak. They become really unable to affect your life in the ways that God ultimately desires. We need the power of God. And uh, we need both, both for his life, we'll call it the abundant life of God in us, and we also need the truth of God for the abundant life through us, the witness of Christ in the world. For that reason, I, I've entitled today's message, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, Abundant and Attractive Living. Abundant and Attractive Living. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Look at verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He's told him about getting false leaders and establishing good leaders. Now he's going to get into the teaching itself. Here's the things that should be taught in the church. That's verse 1. Look down at the end of verse 10, kind of the bookends for our study today. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Put it this way. God wants the church to be taught well so that the church will represent well, that adorning the doctrine, that that the truth of the gospel will be attractive in in the culture, not by man's ideas of how to be attractive, but by the truth and power of the message when it's taught and lived in Christ. I'll read these two, those two verses to you out of the New Living Translation. You get the essence uh, verse 1, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Right? Teaching and living are very important. They go together. Verse 10, then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Lord, transform our lives with good, solid truth of your gospel so that not only would our lives be blessed with the, the changes that we all long for, but also that our lives would be attractive, winsome to a culture that is desperate for answers, desperate for truth. Not by us modifying the message and trying to be more appealing in our own understanding of what the world might be attracted to. No, by living the truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. The truth, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. People aren't looking for our kind of um, manipulated version of the gospel. They need the truth. They need it in living uh, witness. They need it in the preaching and teaching of his word. This is what the world needs. This is what they are hungry for. Never mind what they tell you they want or don't want. If, they, if they're really looking for change and power, these are the things that are needed. They need the truth of the gospel. They need true Christians living it out. Abundant and attractive living. Now, we're only looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. But the whole chapter needs to be kind of considered as a, as a thoughts that run together. So I want to just take this time to set the context. I want you to look at verse 11 with me, and that'll kind of launch us into our study this morning. We'll come back, verses 1 through 10. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Paul's letter to Titus is, is 
chapter 2 is put together like this. Titus, teach things that are consistent with proper living in the Christian faith. Because if you'll do that, you will be attractive, you'll be adorning, you'll be making winsome the truth of the gospel. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. In other words, all of this right godly living is a result of the grace of God that has come and saved. So that's an important thing to just kind of keep in our mind. We're going to look at some very practical things. Paul's going to get down into practical application for living. But lest you think that, okay, wow, that's, that's a checklist of things I got to do. I got to make happen. Boy, I got to make some changes. I got to get on this. No, Paul wants you to know it's all by the grace of God. God is doing the work of transformation. God's grace has come and brought salvation to your life. It is his grace that empowers us to live this way. We're going to look at the virtues that I think all of us would agree. Those are good things. I want all, we'll all want the, these things in our life. But lest we think that we can do it in our own strength, remember verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared and brought salvation to all men. All of this is the result of grace. We'll look more closely next week at the balance of the chapter and, and dig out and mine out the truths of grace. But here's the fruit of grace, if you will, this abundant, attractive living. Back to verse 1. Let's take a look and get into the text a little more detail. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. He begins with the older men. Now, who are the older men? Well, nobody wants to admit that they're one of the older men, but the fact is, maybe you are one of the older men. Maybe I'm one of the older men. I think in the context and in other places, what Paul, I think, is getting at, look, those men that have walked with the Lord and have maturity in their relationship with God, but also they have maturity in life. They're older in that they have already come through enough time in life and in faith that they have an opportunity to mentor and set example for those younger in the church. Most likely, the reference to older men would be a man who has raised children to adulthood. So that's somebody who's been married a while. That's somebody who's known the challenges of raising family. And now his children are launched and in adulthood. I'm one of these older men. I've got my, my youngest is 25, and I'm now starting to see the grandkids come in. So I've walked with the Lord for some season. I've walked through the married life for some time, and I have raised four kids. So I have some experience, not only in life, but in the walk with the Lord. So there's a, there's a challenge here for those of you that have this experience. And he says specifically that you would be sober, reverent, temperate. This just talks about lifestyle. Listen, older men that are mature in the Lord, let your lifestyle reflect this kind of balance. Self-control, moderation, not given to extravagance or overindulgence. That's what these words speak to, sober, reverent, temperate, a balanced life. You've learned how to manage priorities. 
That takes time, doesn't it? I mean, we have competing demands. We have, you know, the family. We have church. We have business. We have all of the things that that kind of compete for our time and priority and focus. And it takes time to learn how to balance and navigate those things. But the Lord leads us, and, and we learn. So we're not overwhelmed by this situation. We've walked with the Lord. We know that this will resolve. We're, we're balanced, and there's this maturity, this lifestyle that becomes something of a stable model in the church. Others can look to you. He's got his life together. He's been, you know, in the Lord, his family, his home, his work. He's established. This kind of a model is what we need in the life of the church. He says not only in lifestyle, but he says sound in faith, love, and patience. This speaks to doctrine. This speaks to wisdom. You're living well, but you also have good understanding in the areas of faith, love, and patience. Sound in faith, sound in the faith. These are men who would know the word. These are men who have a working knowledge of the Bible. And this would not just be for men, by the way, young and old, men and women. This is a good discipline that we would come to a place where God's word begins to shape our thinking and the way we live our lives. We think biblically. A crisis comes up. A decision has to be made. We're thinking of it through the filter of God's word. Sound in the faith. We're not blown about by false doctrine. We're, we're anchored in the Word of God. Not only that, but sound in love. The Word is agape. This means that there is a genuine fruit of Jesus Christ in your life. Do you love your wife? Do you love your family? Do you love God's people, the church? Do you love the lost? Is God's love evident as a fruit of your walk? You know, sometimes some of these older guys, boy, he's been around a while. He knows a lot, but he sure is cranky. He sure is, you know, unfriendly. He sure is kind of doing his own thing. That's, that's not the model we're looking for. We're looking for lives that walk in love. And it says here, finally, patience. Patience could also be translated perseverance. This is an important virtue, men. Those of you that have been walking with the Lord for time, over time, you have learned the faithfulness of God over time. Maybe there was a time in your early walk where something happened and, boy, you wondered if God was going to come through. Oh, my God, it's, you know, is God going to, am I going to make it? But over time, after you walk through a few of those seasons, you realize God is faithful. I can say that. I can look back on many, many years and times when I thought, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. God brought me through. And that gives me a sense of patience and perseverance. And I can share that with others. Older men, you can sow this into the young men in your lives. You can say, listen, hang in there. God's faithful. I've been there. You hang in there in that marriage. No, don't, don't just jump from that job. Maybe that's what the Lord has, but, but wait on it. Trust the Lord. Don't run from crisis to crisis. Don't give up on faith. Don't go back into sinful things. No, wait on the Lord. Look, I've walked through these seasons of life. I've been where you are, and I'm telling you, God is faithful. God will bring you out. God will bring you through. Don't lose hope. 
Hold on, that perseverance. You see, many young people in the Lord, they don't have that perspective. They may know it; it's true in their mind. I know God is faithful. But I want to talk to somebody who's lived that God is faithful. And so there's a ministry. And I want to say this, just as we look at these different uh, encouragements for different groups within the church, notice the connection that each group has with one another. In other words, Older men, you're ministering to younger. Older women, you'll be ministering to younger. Younger men, younger women, you have a ministry. We're connected in this. We have something to offer. The older have something to offer. The younger, the younger have something to offer. The older. This is all part of God's family serving and loving one another. So setting the pace for the church, older men, becoming those examples, living out Christianity over time. You become something of... Uh, an anchor and a foundation for the work of the ministry. Not just the older men. Look at verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Now, as I mentioned in the first service, we don't have any older women in our church. I know that. (laughs) But in case you end up at a church where there are older women... In case you stay here long enough that you become an older woman. I'm being, uh, trying to be funny. It's not that good, but you get the idea. I, I know women don't want to be identified as older women, but, but maybe you are. And there's instruction here for you. And, and again, it, it speaks of both lifestyle and then witness. Reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. This speaks of a holy kind of Purity. This speaks of self-control. Not slanderers, boy, not given to gossip. You know, here's what happens sometimes as we grow older. When you're younger, raising children, it seems like every moment is just, you know, booked. You're so active. You're, there's so much to do. There's not enough time. But then as children grow, old, grow older and move off into their own lives, sometimes as we get older, we have time. We're not as busy and active. We were years raising family. I can remember, man, we had four soccer games every Saturday for years. And then, you know, work and church and all. It was just crazy. I've got two grandkids now. When they come over, my wife and I can barely manage two grandchildren. And we wonder, how did we do it? We're just, we got to send them back home. We're running out of steam here. But there's, there comes that time where you have more time. Ladies, listen, be careful with that time. Don't let that time end up just on social media or some gossipy situation where all you're doing is talking about things that are not healthy for you or the listener. There's a warning here, a practical warning that you would be be fruitful with whatever time the Lord gives you, that you would be a teacher of good things. Teacher of good things. And what is this wisdom that you're called to pass on? Look at verse 4 and 5, and we'll talk to the young women. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Older women have an opportunity to mentor younger women to sow into their lives. And these are the things that that you can teach those that are younger. You can teach them to be discreet, chaste. This speaks of a purity, a modesty. 
you know, young women need to be, they need to be reminded. And maybe some of the older, listen, live your life purely unto the Lord. Don't get caught up in, in kind of the, the wisdom of the world that's always looking for some inappropriate attention and affection. Live your life for the Lord. Give your life to Him. Keep your conduct discreet and pure and modest. But not just that, but also this priority. He says that they would be, teach their, the wives to, be, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be homemakers, to be obedient to their own husbands. Now, I know that in Paul's culture, uh, a woman's life is, was probably different than it is in our culture. So I don't want to try and, and kind of map that over on our time. Let's be honest. There are homes where two incomes are just essential. We live in expensive places. And, and you know, just living in California, sometimes you've got to have that second income. I know that there are homes where there is only one single parent, and that parent, maybe the mom, she's got to work. So I know that we live in a time where, you know, this doesn't, doesn't necessarily apply over perfectly, but I want you to hear the priority that, that the Lord's Word would lead you to, that, that marriage, the family and the children, and then the home life would be a priority. You see, God, God's intention, God's priority is that the home would become something of a sanctuary, something of a safe place for children, something of a safe place for marriage, for family. God's very interested in family. It begins at home. And it seems that through the Word of God that God has given a special calling and a special gifting to the wife. I mean, there is something about a, a mother and child that, that really is very unique. It's a very unique bond. I mean, the child is, is birthed through the, the, the womb of the mother. This is a very intimate relationship. So mothers have a special place in, in the life of children. Dads, we have a special place. This is not to, you know, kind of downplay our role. But let's be honest, there is a mother's place in a child and in a home that a father can't really minister to. Now, God wants both working together, but he seems to be saying, wives, mothers, don't forget the home. Yes, you may need career. You may need work. Yes, you may need, you know, and, and when you go into the workplace, you want equal opportunity. Absolutely. But don't forget the home. Don't make the career and the, and the financial uh, materialistic pursuit compromise the priority of the home. Sometimes it's necessary. We understand God will give grace. But don't forget the marriage, the family, the home. Homemakers. I know in our culture that almost sounds like a condescending word. But not in God's economy. Not in God's mind. The home is precious. You know, uh, there is something of a grace that a woman brings to a home. Now, I don't mean to sound stereotypical. I'm just, I believe this, that, that women have a special grace to change a house into a home. Men can't really do it that well. But a woman's touch, a woman's gentleness, a woman's spirit 
really brings a different dynamic into the home. I'm telling you, my wife, I, I know this to be true. And so God is saying, look, you're, you have special, unique gifting and calling, and that is to keep your focus on the home. This is what the older women can mentor. They can say, look, young lady, I know things are fast-paced, and you want to get out there, and you want to compete, and God bless you. You can, and you should, but don't forget the home. Don't forget the marriage. Don't forget the children. Don't forget your grace to minister in the home. That home is the sanctuary. It's the safe place for children, for family. This is where God works. How do we protect ourselves in a culture that we live in? How do we send our children off to school to be influenced by all kinds of worldly, non-biblical input? We do it by caring for the home. We do it by keeping the home as an anchor in the life of our children. Yes, you go there to school, but you come home here. And this is where you hear of the Lord. This is where you witness love. This is where you taste true value and priority. And you grow up in that safe place. And this takes effort. This takes conscious focus on the home. Women are encouraged in this place. I would encourage you as well. It says to obey your husbands. It means to, to allow your husband to be a godly leader in your home. And it says that you should be chaste and discreet. And, you know, Peter would say, don't let your adornment be merely outward, but also that hidden person of the heart. These are good virtues for any woman. And, 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 and nothing is lost. You're not diminished. This is not about value or don't listen to the culture. Don't let them shame you into being somebody that God hasn't called you to be. Obey the Lord. You'll find blessing. How's it working out for the world? How's all the wisdom of the world translating? What do you see going on in our culture, in our society? Is it all working out? Do we see families and homes and children? Everybody's just blessed. Wow. Forget the Bible. We got all the, the, the answers. I see despair. I see heartbreak. I see divorce. I see children unloved, broken, hurting. I see an absence of the blessing that God has. So don't give up on the Bible, church. Don't give up on what God has given for instruction for our lives, our marriage, our homes. And he says there that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Again, that connection to being a witness. Live this way so that no one in the world can cast bad aspersions on you as a believer. She calls herself a Christian, but she parties harder than anybody else. She calls herself a Christian. Have you seen her Facebook page? Listen, you don't want that drama. Live in a way that those things, although people may accuse, they have no merit. Live your life in a way not only that you would have the blessing at home, but that you would have the witness of your home. Likewise, young men, verse 6, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. So Titus himself seems to be included in this young men encouragement. Encourage the young men and you yourself live this way. As if, Titus, you're one of the young men there at the church. I want you to live this way too. And he says, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, 
that, the, uh, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So let's talk to the young men. That you would show yourself as a pattern for good works. Young men setting the pace in a congregation of committed good works in the Lord and in the faith. Again, not some treadmill of effort on your own, but the work of grace in your life. That they would be sober-minded. Again, self-control, good judgment, balanced living, and leading the way. That's what I see. Showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. The young men, they set the they blaze the trail. They have the passion. There is a zeal with, with the young for Christ. There's a physical stamina and strength to serve God. I don't know how many mission trips I've got left in me. They're getting harder and harder, but there are young men who can go and go strong. And so young men are called to be set the pace and, and not get caught up in the, you know, the me generation. You get caught up in the Jesus generation. You start taking the reins. You take the baton from these older men. Say, guys, thanks for the good example. Thanks for the good, good uh, word and, and witness. Let me run. Let me serve. Let me help. Let me get connected in the work of God. But not only in good works, but also in doctrine. Young men should know the word. Young men should be learning the word. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. That means that they can't be swayed by winds of doctrine. We're anchored in the word. There's a lot of winds of doctrine that blow about. And we want our young men not swayed, incorruptible. I I can't be moved by that. For me and my house, we're serving the Lord. I'm raising my children to know the Lord. We had a baby dedication here, the first service, and we stood with this young family with just a little one-year-old, you know, just a little infant, and, we, and they're saying, we're going to live for Jesus, and we want our child to know him, and we're going to commit our lives, and we're going to commit the raising of our children to the Lord, and we stand as a church, and we say amen. Amen. This is the path we're going. We're not ashamed. We're not embarrassed. We live for the Lord, and young men stepping up into that that leadership role that God has for you in the church. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. If there is an opponent, an opponent, they'll be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. There it is again. Not only your life and your words, but your witness. You're living in such a way, young man, that no matter what the accusations are, they have nothing that can be legit in accusation. Young men struggle sometimes. Young men have a hard time kind of getting their spiritual bearing. But by the grace of God, we need young men to allow Jesus to change them. You know, Jesus called young guys. Those disciples, many of them were just teenagers when Jesus called them into the ministry. And he was only with them three and a half years. These guys were in their early 20s. He entrusted the life of the church to them. And this is what God has for young men that would be sound in doctrine, in character, and in word. Finally, here today, look at verse 9. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This gets right into the workplace. We've talked about this before in the culture of Paul's day. Slavery was the employment economy. 
today we can apply these principles into the workplace. God wants this witness to be in the church, in the home, and at work. Employees, obedient, well-pleasing, not answering back. That's not easy, is it? Not easy. Maybe I can be obedient. I'll try to be well-pleasing, but no way I'm not answering back. If I've got something to say, you're going to hear it, right? That's kind of our, even our workplace. Like, you know, we, we, we think it's our right to give everybody a piece of our mind. Just what we all need is a piece of your mind. That's just what we've all been waiting for. That's what every company wants, somebody to come in and give them a piece of their mind. That's what every, that's what every manager loves about his employees, getting a piece of their mind. You know I'm being sarcastic. There's no witness in that. That's just acting like just about every employee they have. But that employee who comes and works hard, that employee who comes and is respectful, shows up on time. That employee, even in a difficult circumstance, even when on occasion things seem unfair, he doesn't complain. She doesn't complain. She just does her job faithfully. That has a witness that adorns the doctrine of the gospel, that makes attractive the witness of Christ. And it speaks louder than anything else you can say. You can preach Jesus, but if you don't work hard, it messes with your witness. Who wants Jesus? Who wants a lazy Jesus? Who wants a, 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 a up in my face, you know, demanding my, their rights Jesus? Is that the spirit of Christ? But a person that shows and demonstrates these things in the workplace, that is a witness. He says not pilfering, good fidelity. This means honest, trustworthy, with, with, with property, with money, with time. Your time. You know, don't just be the worker that works hard when they're watching. You be that worker that is honest with your time. We're talking about a witness. And we're talking about an abundant life. There's blessing here. And God has called us. Now, I'm not saying you become a doormat. I'm not saying you let people take advantage. I'm not saying you let illegal things happen in the workplace and you don't step up and say, hey, that's not right. You know the difference. There's a right place to be, you know, um, kind of heard, and then there's just that kind of complaining mode that everybody seems to be in so often. Imagine you going to work and not complaining. Imagine what that would, you know, that could shock somebody, right? That might be a total witness that people have never seen before. I would encourage you to consider these words, and not just the easygoing work employee, employee situation. Servants, Peter said, 1 Peter 2.18, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. This is the way you adorn the doctrine of God. This is the way you give witness to the difference that Christ has made in your life. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way, says the New Living Transversion, Translation of verse 10. That witness, that ministry. This is, this is what Paul is writing to Titus. Titus, get this church on this program. God's grace has come to change them. And the grace of God should, should show change in every area of life. Not just at church, not just certain days of the week, but everywhere they live, at home, 
their marriage, their family, their workplace. As the grace of God invades your life, it affects every area of your life. And this is how the kingdom of God is advanced. First in you, God gives you the blessing of a changed and transformed life. Who wants to be like the old man? Who wants to go back into the bondage of selfish, empty living? I want to live in the abundance of grace and mercy and and selflessness of Christ being developed in me. The virtue of Christ. And then that's the witness to the world. The world has all kinds of ideas about how we should be behaving as Christians. And they're not always compliant with the biblical worldview that we hold. But here's what I'm convinced, church, that the wisdom of the world has no real answers. That all of the materialism, all of the political answers, all of the all of the wisdom of the age, they may be even some of it well-intending, in the end, it doesn't satisfy the longing of the heart. And ultimately, what people are looking for is the truth. And the truth is this, God loves them. God loves them and wants to forgive them and save them. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for them. That's the message of truth that will set free. You can have this confidence. Sometimes we think we've got to win the argument. Well, I've got to have every answer. No, get as many answers as you can. But in the end, know this. Their answers will not fulfill them. That, that definition of family and marriage will not ultimately satisfy you. That pursuit of what you think is a great career and selfish living and materialism, you're going to find that it's empty. But one thing that I do know that every heart is longing for, and that is to be loved by a God who has made them with purpose and destiny and future, with a God that has demonstrated that love so passionately in the gift of his Son, And that that love can transform your life. You you can be forgiven. You can be set right. You can have peace with God. That message still has power. That message is still the answer for a generation that is determined that it's all wrong. And not everyone will hear it. You know that. But there are some who, there are sincere seekers out there. There are sincere people that are looking for an answer, make sure we have it. Make sure we're modeling it. Make sure it's working and functioning in our lives. That's the the concern that Paul has. get Get this church living in the grace of God, modeling the attractive message of God's love and salvation. That's still the answer whether it be Paul's generation or ours, and it should be happening in the local church. This is where these things are cultivated. This is where we study and, and kind of get an understanding of how to live out this Christian life. And that's a powerful, powerful word of witness into a culture that is desperate for answer and truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for these practical applications of the word And Jesus, we want to just confess to you today that it is all by grace. These things do not come by the efforts of men. These things come as a gift because grace 
has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Jesus, you're the answer. You're the one I need in my heart today. It's your love that I need to change and transform me, my marriage, my family, changing me in the workplace. I can't do this, Lord. I need you. Help us by grace. Bear this fruit in our lives, Lord. And Lord, may it become so real to us that it becomes attractive to others. God, if my life could be used to witness and bring someone to salvation, Lord, how good that would be. How, how fulfilling that would be. Help me, Lord. Help me to live in such a way that truth is modeled and that, it's, that it draws men to you, to the saving love that you have for them. God, help us individually. Help us as a church. Now, as our heads are bowed and we prepare to close in a song of worship, I do want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you do not have this relationship of grace and salvation in your life. You've never invited Jesus to become the Lord and Savior. But you hear his heart today. You hear the love of God. You know that he wants to forgive, that he sent his son to die for your sin. And you're ready to receive that. Maybe you have spent a lot of time, effort, and energy chasing fulfillment somewhere other than the love of God. And today, you know in your heart, I just need Jesus. Come into my life, Lord. Forgive me. Save me. I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart today. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You're here and you look at this list of virtues that the word is encouraging and you say, you know what, to be honest, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really modeling these virtues very well. I've kind of lost my way. I've kind of... uh, detoured away from this grace of God producing these fruits in my life. And I got nothing but trouble. I don't have this kind of peace and love in my home, my family, my marriage. My workplace is a mess. I'm, I'm all mixed up. And maybe you're here today. And you just need to, to come back to center, if you will, and say, Jesus, reset me. I need to recommit my heart to you. I need to realign my life with these virtues because I want my life not only to enjoy the blessings of these things, but I want my life to adorn the message of the gospel. I want to be a witness at work. I want to be an example in the home. I want to love my wife. I want to raise my kids. I want to walk in grace. I don't want to carry bitterness, forgiveness, hurt, drama. Everywhere I go, it's conflict. Jesus, change me. By grace, I need your help. And maybe that's your heart today. You just need to re-surrender your life to Jesus and recommit your heart. I'd love to pray for you. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ or you want to recommit your heart to Christ, as I've described, just raise your hand. And I'll pray for you. God bless you. 
number of hands here, a number of hands in the back in the center section, over on the, the edges in the very back. God bless you. Amen. God bless you up front here. Praise the Lord on the aisle. Dead center. God bless you. Just before I pray, anyone else, this is your heart. You want to be a part of this prayer today. Raise your hand. God bless you. Amen. Amen. And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, we just thank you for this moment. I I just think it's a divine moment, Lord. I think it's such a good thing when your word finds its mark on a heart. And, Lord, we need it. And I just thank you for the honesty of response here today. Hearts saying, Lord, that's me. You spoke to me today. I need this. I need you. I need to come back to you. I, I, I need this, this truth, this grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet each heart with that grace, with that love, with that confidence, assurance. Hey, it, 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 I love you. God, you know it's hard for us. That's why you carried it for us. That's why Jesus came to do what we could not. And so let each heart, Lord, I pray today, simply say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. It's by grace that salvation has appeared to me in Christ. I receive it today by faith. I recommit my heart to it today by faith. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me to transform from within, develop these attributes of love and Christ-likeness so that I might be a witness for you, that my life might shine like a light in my home, in my family, in my workplace, in my school, wherever you would have me, Lord. Be, may this grace be evident. And Lord, especially we long for it in our church, that this would be a place of love, that this would be a place where the Holy Spirit is ever present to work and minister. That as we walk into the doors, we just sense the presence of God, His grace, the love of Christ, the love of His people. God, help us to be that kind of a church today. Help us as a people to adorn the doctrine of the gospel, to make attractive the message of Jesus Christ. We ask it all in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.